Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burdick, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, November 17th. Thanksgiving is a week away, and we have a lot to be thankful for. Topping the list is the fact that most voters rejected MAGA Republican candidates across the country and helped protect our country from fascism. For now, it's going to be a continuous fight with these idiots because of the big idiot, so don't let your guard down, ever. The people also spoke loudly on a number of healthcare issues on the ballot this year, and we're going to talk about two of them today a ballot initiative in Arizona on medical debt, and a ballot initiative in Oregon on whether healthcare is a right. To explain the significance of these two initiatives are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. But before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm hanging in there and waiting for the first snowfall. Already got my shovel out. (laughs) Prepared. That's great, Dave. Thanks. Julie, how are you? I am both energized and exhausted from my week at health. That is all. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll ask you about that a little later. That's great. Welcome, Welcome back. Now, before we talk about these ballot initiatives, I wanted to ask you about your Thanksgiving plans. Dave, are you hosting or traveling? And what part of the menu are you responsible for? Every other year, we host a big Thanksgiving. This is not one of those years. So my only responsibility was making reservations at Shaw's Crab House, where I expect to have lobster for Thanksgiving after running the turkey trot that morning in Lincoln Park. Wow. That's a great plan. Yeah, Shaw's is a great place. Thanks. Julie, are you hosting or traveling? And what food item are you responsible for? Well, we are traveling to South Carolina, which is not close. And I am making my usual what I love to make, stuffing, and then yams, and then cranberries. So those are my faves to make. But this year, I was also assigned dessert, which was really stressful So I found this amazing place that will do basically half pies and it has like six different pie options. So I'm calling it my cornucopia pies. (laughs) That's way too complicated. Yeah, good luck. I've got two words for you, Julie. Pecan pie. (laughs) Pumpkin all the way. Oh, no way. Yes, pumpkin. All right, Julie, is it uh, meat dressing or bread dressing? And is it... Hot or cold cranberries? That's always the debate here. Oh, my gosh. Bread dressing, not cornbread, like good old-fashioned sausage, celery, bread Mm -hmm. dressing, and definitely cold cranberries. Very good. All right. The mystery is solved. We're traveling, but just across town to my daughter's house, her and her fiancé are hosting a family holiday party for the first time, so this should be interesting. I get to peel the potatoes to make mashed potatoes. But that's all they let me do is peel the potatoes. I don't even get to make the mashed potatoes. Where's the trust? (laughs) Each of us, according to our abilities, Dave. 
All right. Speaking of trust, apparently voters in Arizona don't trust healthcare providers not to charge them outrageous interest rates on medical debt or confiscate their property. Arizona Proposition 209 is called the Healthcare Debt Interest Limit and Debt Collection Exemptions Initiative. It would limit the interest rate on medical debt to 3%, raise the dollar amount on untouchable savings to $5,000 from $300. That's great. You get to keep $300 after we take everything else. And raise the dollar value of certain assets like homes and cars exempt from medical debt collection. Voters in Arizona passed the ballot initiative by a wide margin, 72% to 28%. Proposition 209 is what's called an initiated state statute, which means it automatically becomes state law. It's set to take effect in January. Dave, is this the right way to make medical care more affordable? Yes or no and why? How do you think it will affect providers and payers? And do you think other states will follow suit? You know, the most interesting feature of this measure is that it passed with such overwhelming support, particularly in a conservative state. 72% is huge. Former New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once observed that the nation should never undertake major political reform without at least two-thirds of Americans supporting it. Last I checked, 72% is more than two-thirds. It is also telling that Arizona's citizens had to go through a ballot measure to enact these kinds of common sense consumer protections, demonstrates how captured state legislatures are by special interests. Given the margin of victory, I doubt legal or legislative challenges to the new law can succeed in overturning it or blunting its provisions. That doesn't mean special interests won't try, they will. There's something called the medical debt policy scorecard it really does exist. It identifies only three states with good medical debt policies. They are Maine, Maryland, and California. And medical debt is a huge problem. Not only is it the leading cause of personal bankruptcy, over 40% of American adults, according to data from the Kaiser Family Foundation, carry debt due to unpaid medical or dental bills. So I'll answer your last question first, Dave. Given the need the lack of consumer protections, and the expansive winning margin of the Arizona ballot initiative, I expect that we will see similar initiatives pop up in dozens of other states. The Arizona results should be a wake-up call to state legislatures to enact real consumer protections against medical bill collectors. If they don't, they risk stoking the ire of their constituents, but I'm not sure they really care about that anyway. The devil, of course, in these types of legislative programs are the details. I'm still smarting from the U.S. Congress's inability to pass meaningful protections against surprise medical bills. The healthcare industrial complex won that battle. So maybe consumers have to take it to the streets and win protections against onerous medical bills through ballot initiatives. I'll answer your other two questions quickly. This isn't the right way to make medical care more affordable. It's the equivalent of giving morphine to a sick patient. It alleviates the pain, but doesn't eliminate the condition. Real change requires payment reform that encompasses full risk contracting. Until that happens, we're just tinkering with a fundamentally broken service model. Regarding the measure's impact on providers and payers, I don't think it will affect payers at all. Tell me if I'm wrong about that. 
On the provider side, they will be less incentivized to collect on smaller claims because the cost of doing so will become higher. I'll wrap up by saying that Americans are mad as hell about the financial burdens that medical debt imposes on them, and they're starting to do something about it. As Arizona is going, so will go the nation. Treating the symptoms, not the cause. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? I'm sort of stuck on as Arizona goes, so we'll go the nation. <laughs> Probably the first time somebody's ever said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think about it that way, but okay. <laughs> as a former Californian, I think California takes offense by what you just said. But so here's, I guess, my question. You know, we talked about medical debt, I don't know, a few months ago. And really looks at it kind of as a band-aid that allows consumers to just kick the can down the road on healthcare costs. They can keep ignoring them, right? And some, you know, talked about this, like it's really a helpful beginning to the conversation about medical debt and gets consumers involved in understanding that, you know, medical debt's a thing and why. So what do you think? Like what's what's really going on here? Well, this initiative is definitely more than a Band-Aid or even a conversation starter. Unlike Oregon's ballot initiative, which you get the pleasure of discussing this morning, this measure immediately becomes law and has very specific provisions that provide, I think, significant consumer protections from medical collection agencies. In the process, Arizona will go from being among the states with the least amount of protection against medical debt collections to joining the three states I mentioned with the most protection for consumers. Having said that, it won't end the conversation. Uh, One in 10 Americans have more than $5,000 in medical debt and that percentage is rising. These people tend to be older, sicker and poorer with high rates of disability. They also are more likely to be black and brown The new Arizona law means people with medical debt won't have their homes taken away or their wages garnished. That's real protection. But the new law won't relieve them of the medical debt obligations. That remains a sizable burden. Wouldn't it be something if we could do a better job of preventing far more people from needing expensive acute interventions for treatable chronic conditions and then stop them from incurring the medical debt in the first place? Is that really too much to expect? There's an idea. Maybe we should try it. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> now let's go from Arizona to the Pacific Northwest, where Julie lives, where Oregon voters passed another noteworthy ballot initiative. Measure 11 in Oregon amends the state constitution to make, quote, access to cost-effective clinically appropriate and affordable health care, close quote, a fundamental right for all residents. Measure 11 passed by a very narrow margin, 50.7% to 49.3%. Measure 11 makes Oregon the first state in the nation to make health care a right, not a privilege. Julie, is this the right way to make medical care more affordable? Yes or no and why? What's your take on the narrow margin and how do you think it will affect providers and payers? Well, so many experts thought this might not pass, unlike many other of the measures in Oregon, apparently. And it's really because the language was convoluted and voters were actually confused about where the money would come from to pay for the affordable health care for all, which is an interesting set of confusing points, because if you listen to other experts around the table, they think it's hyper clear. (laughs) 
So what would it cost? What's the state's role in enforcing affordable health care? You know, many people are trying to figure out how it would work in practice. So the first thing I looked at was who funded this measure? And it turns out that the largest donors to the PAC were the Nurses United PAC, SEIU, and Healthcare for All Oregon, which is a coalition of folks advocating for, guess what, a single-payer universal healthcare system. So that's pretty telling. And on the payer-provider front, you know, most of Oregon's large healthcare providers and insurers haven't taken a position on this yet, which seems odd. And it may reinforce the fact that there is actual, you know, material disagreement over what this measure means and maybe leaving them hesitant to take a side. So the two who have jumped in the ring are first a coordinated care organization called Care Oregon, pretty prominent organization in the state, and of course, Providence Health Services, which is the huge grill in the room. So here's what each side is saying and why I think it's, you know, I'm sure confusing a lot of people. First, the supporters say that it doesn't change how Oregonians get their health insurance or who pays for it. They also say it's a measure that will just focus the legislature on decreasing the cost of healthcare insurance and co-pays and continue efforts to drive down the percentage of uninsured. So great. But the opponents say it's inevitably going to lead to an increase in people on Medicaid, which is going to bankrupt the state. That's kind of the big fear argument. And it gives individuals who end up with a lack of access to health care the right to sue the state, which, you know, clearly is probably an unintended consequence, I would say. And probably the most influential voice at this point, of course, are the legal experts. And they agree that uh, the measure opens the door for Oregonians to sue the state. So that's a problem. And they also say that state funding for health care is articulated in this measure to be balanced against funding for public schools and other essential public services. And that, to me, sounds like a super tricky implementation. I don't know how they do that. So, you know, you have people like Senator Hayward, who believes that all of this doesn't require some radical overhaul, but yet it can be done within the system. It's not intended at all to set Oregon up to switch to a single-payer system. And, you know, Hayward and others, Adamson, go on to talk about Oregonians are not going to be required to establish a single-payer system, but instead ensure access to affordable health care. So they're playing on the words. And when I looked at all this, it just felt to me like it's going to be a long slog to really figure out what they really meant by this and how it's going to be implemented. So I'm not really sure it says much, to be honest. At it, Julie. Thank you. Good job following the money there. Dave, any questions for Julie? Wow, clear as mud. Julie, I'm going to get a little wonky on you here to set up my question. In his work on rhetoric, Aristotle identified three kinds of arguments. First, forensic arguments are concerned with blame and occur in the past tense. Demonstrative arguments are concerned with values and occur in the present tense. And third, deliberative arguments are concerned with choices and occur in the future tense. In politics, deliberative debates about what to do often devolve into demonstrative debates about values that don't win over any converts. This appears to me to be what has happened in Oregon. The ballot measure was passed by a small margin without any specifics. Language matters. So here are my questions. Is this healthcare 
rights measure anything more than a rock'em, sock'em robot opportunity for our warring political factions to hammer into one another? Secondly, will this outcome persuade any Oregonians to do something? By the way, I love that word, Oregonians. <laughs> will it persuade any of them to do something different with regard to healthcare reform? And if not, then what's its real purpose? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the fact that some people are reading into this, that Oregon will pay for care for all. Some people are reading into this, that it is just purely an access issue. Many are reading into this already, that it will create a litigious environment. Some believe this will inspire the legislation. I mean, it is, it's set up for years of <laughs> consulting fees and legal fees to be paid to put together models for how this could be done. So the silver lining of things like this to me is that it allows for the spark of conversations to really try to push things forward. So maybe they'll make progress here. And honestly, if anyone can do it, it's a regional basis like this where you could align the state interests with private market and some unions are involved and actually really try to work on a new reimbursement model. But, you know, I'm not so sure that's where we'll get here. Yeah, it's definitely a story that we'll keep on giving for years. Thanks, Julie. I prefer market solutions to regulatory solutions, but you get regulations when you don't behave. And that's the choice voters made in a traditionally conservative state and a traditionally liberal state. So power to the people. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right. Thanks, David. Thanks, Julie. Great discussion. Uh, now let's briefly talk about other news that happened this week. Julie, any news from the health conference in Las Vegas that you uh, want to share? Oh, my gosh. The number of things that are announced at health. I mean, it's just like a headline fest. But I will say disco party of all times. 10,000 people is what I heard. Didn't quite feel that big, honestly, but, you know, it's Vegas. Like the Trump inaugural, right? More important. <laughs> right, exactly. Except that health, they let you leave the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. Sorry. <laughs> uh, apparently, I heard from a number of folks that they had fewer than 10% payers and providers there. So it was a big vendor fest. You had companies like Hello Heart and others who were paying for banner ads on the strip. And I mean, with that kind of composition, you have to ask yourself, who they're advertising to. And health equity was absolutely the buzzword or the buzz phrase of the week. So either we are going to solve health equity and quickly, or it will be the forgotten phrase by this time next year. Interesting. Well, thanks, Julie. Dave, what other news broke this week that's worth mentioning? Well, I'm going to step away from healthcare and say that a week out, the surprising election results still loom large and gave us a moment of clarity. Turns out the American people didn't like the January 6th attempt to overthrow their government and all this stop the steal nonsense. Despite Biden's low approval rating and runaway inflation, there was no red wave. The fact the Republicans won the control of the House was due entirely to gerrymandering not their policies or their politicking. The R's gained seats in Florida, Texas, Ohio, Iowa, and Florida, where they gerrymandered to their heart's content, and in New York and Maryland, where the courts stopped Democrats from doing the same thing. 
turns out, Dave, that only in our great home state of Illinois were the Dems able to pull off Republican-level gerrymandering, and I believe we're a weaker state because of it. If Americans want to stop the real steal, it's time for all states to get with Michigan, Pennsylvania, and other states that draw fair congressional maps. Yeah, I saw some of those, and they are ridiculous. Couldn't agree more, Dave. Thanks. And thank you again, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.